0: Hey, folks, this is Greg Bryant here. Nate Chenin is with me here. Before we start Jazz United today, we want to let you know that we are a member-supported station at WBGO, and our podcast uh, is a product of WBGO Studios. You know, our success begins with you today, right here, right now.
1: Right, Nate? That's right. And so when you support WBGO, you are supporting the work of WBGO Studios, including Jazz United. So we ask you to give so that you, your family, your friends, maybe your enemies, why not? We'll always be able to turn to WBGO for the best that Jazz has to offer on the air and in your podcast feed.
0: You can give securely online right now at WBGO.org slash support. Your gift is tax deductible. No amount is too great or too small. We just want you to make that move to give to ensure that Jazz United remains and that WBGO remains for many, many years to come. And we thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Jazz United. This is Greg Bryant, host
1: of Jazz After Hours on member-supported WBGO. And I'm Nate Chenin, editorial director at the aforementioned WBGO. Jazz United is our podcast. We are so glad you're with us, and... Uh, if you've been following this show, you know that Greg and I like to chop it up. We talk about what's happening in the culture, what is on our radar, what is on our playlists. And this week, we're calling this episode, A Tale of Two Kenny Gs. Indeed, indeed. If you need an alternate title, in parentheses,
0: just use your imagination on, and using the vernacular, we stand the real Kenny G. And we're talking about the real Kenny G, that is Mr. Kenny Garrett.
1: We're going to talk about uh, Kenny G as he relates to a certain Stan, but uh, it's it's not the one that you're you're talking about, Greg. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a little that's a little teaser alert. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it's true. Uh, if you've been paying attention to anything around uh, the discourse, the musical discourse lately, you've probably read a think piece or two about. Kenneth Gorlick, the um, the sort of uh, Pied Piper of smooth jazz. Um, and the reason for that, of course, is a new film by Penny Lane on uh, HBO Max, and it's titled Listening to Kenny G. Uh, and this movie, uh, as soon as I knew that it was dropping, I sent up a flare to Mr. Bryant here and I said look man this show it's releasing tonight this was a recent Friday and I said we gotta we gotta watch this and talk about it man and uh Greg what was your initial response to that suggestion
0: um I I thought you loved me man but <laughs> I, I'm I'm, I'm question I'm questioning everything uh, at this point you, you know? know uh
1: true love is never afraid of hard truths mm, and mm. uh and and I knew that this would be uh, fodder for some good conversation, even in in the way that um, sort of a, a topical irritant can, <laughs> can can bring you to some uh, s- some interesting places. So so let's uh-huh. let's start just by talking about this film. Uh, set the scene for me, Greg, because you were texting me, actually, as we were as you were first watching this movie. Um and uh, providing a little bit of running commentary (laughs) on this movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, First of all, apologies to uh, Dara Tucker as well as uh, Ashley Chenin because I'm sure they've gotten earful over the last few days from uh, us sort of uh, assessing and coming to grips with not only the subject matter but uh, how the film is done. Uh, Critically, I'll say this. um, The film is is, is very well done. Uh, Director Penny Lane uh, does a very good job. I would think she may have a, a bit of an angle here, uh, mm-hmm. some of it that, that right. I, I, I would have to say I agree with. Um, but one of the things that got me texting you right away uh, was in some of the interview footage when Mr. Gorlick was asked about his relationship to music. Mm-hmm. And he says, really, I don't really like music that much. And now I'm paraphrasing. He said, I'm really more interested in practicing and the technical aspect of of." Execution. And I found that very interesting that someone who has, you know, honestly sold nearly seventy-five million albums would have sort of an off-putting relationship with music. Um, how did that strike you, Nate, when you heard that?
1: You know, it it struck me the same way it struck you at first. Okay. Um, but then and I think the film does a really good job of contextualizing this with a, a little glimpse into his home life and mm-hmm. his and his psyche. You know, and you realize this is a, a sort of a type A classic sort of overachiever. And he is more interested in sort of the pat on the head than he is in the search for some kind of musical truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was, it's interesting. I mean, I've said this. Um, one of the key insights of this movie is that a form of music... That can be defined almost entirely by by the term crowd pleasing. Is made by someone who is a compulsive crowd pleaser, you know, um, people pleaser. You know, he's he, so he's he's a competitive golfer. He's really into that, and he he at one point says that the golf trophies actually mean more to him than the Grammy awards because because he actually had to win. And, and beat people in order to get it. There's no subjectivity to it. He actually, you know, he won that thing. And, and it's an interesting uh, point of comparison when you, when you talk about music. He wants to win at music as well. He wants to, you know, he wants to express dominion in some way. And it's, right. it's antithetical, right, to the values that we celebrate in our
0: music. Well, uh, the question is, at what point can you argue With success. You know, myself, along with several others, would be happy if he just stopped playing in public and stopped releasing records. Mm -hmm. Because if musical uh, virtuosity and technical prowess and practice is what motivates him, he can do that at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a, a, a kingdom that has once been destroyed, what does it say in The Art of War? It can never come again into being. I don't think this movie or our analysis or anyone's has truly reckoned with the desecration. And confusion that he, Clive Davis, and the like have caused Ooh. to the instrumental music okay. Of community.
1: Okay, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gather my breath. We're gonna pick up on that, but, but I feel like, uh, in the interest of a little bit of uh, equal say here, let's hear a, a, a moment from the trailer of this movie where Kenny G talks about his pursuit of perfection. I don't think there's anything wrong with hard work. That's a hard lick. I just played it really well, putting in the reps, and then reaping the reward of hey, I'm really good at this. I think that's why my careers lasted this long. All right, co- coming out of that, um, obviously, um, when you hear Kenny G talk about his industriousness and his, you know, commitment to practice, you know, it's a very different expression of that impulse than the one that we celebrate when we talk about someone like John Coltrane. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the difference is something that you alluded to, Greg, earlier. John Coltrane was famous for his devotion to practice, but there was never a question that he was a a seeker of sound, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, He had had an aim in mind, and it was some kind of musical and spiritual Striving, You know, the practice wasn't the point. Um, <clears throat> and when you talk about Kenny G um, to a shocking degree, uh, like it really does feel like, you know, as you said, Greg, you can do you can do this at home in your house. And the film mm-hmm. shows him doing just that. You know, mm-hmm. running pentatonic scales while sitting on his toilet <laughs> which is which is as as apt a metaphor as I think we're going to land on here. yeah, um, yeah. but you use the word you know not to get too scatological. we you use the word desecration mm-hmm. a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be flippant here, but tell us how you really feel, you know <laughs> well, I mean, do you really think that that Kenny G, Uh, has been the destroyer of worlds in a certain way.
0: Here's the, here's the real scene, man. Um, That music at its worst is icing on a rock. And we're scratching our heads as to why people that is the listener doesn't have much of an appetite for anything else. It's because they have a belly full of stones No nourishment, no nutrition, no connection to anything that has happened before or since. And you mentioned something in that previous statement, man. You said that it isn't about the practice with someone like Coltrane. I think that it is. I think Hmm. the practice aligns him in connection to be able to receive and transmit what has come before him, what he's going to um, fellowship with his bandmates. He's in a state of Ever readiness. Keith mm-hmm. Jarrett is another another example of, of what I'm speaking about as well. But when all you've heard is one Grover Washington album over and over again for you know several years and you've played in a high school band, how does that prepare you to truly comprehensively deal with music on a holistic level as opposed to just learning whatever the latest runs that Grover was feeling in
1: 1972? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're describing a... A mindset of inspiration, right? This this idea that this almost sort of monastic dedication to craft will prepare a space for you to become a vessel for mm-hmm. a kind of divine, um, you know, spiritual and musical message or Um, even
0: take it out of the spiritual
1: thing okay just so that you're ready period okay because
0: some people may be distracted by that to be honest you know
1: the the, and and it stands in in very stark contrast to the scenes that that we see where kenny g is you know if nothing else you can describe him as supremely self-satisfied you know Um, he listens to himself and he's like okay and and now We're going to put, you know, nine layers of reverb on it. (laughs) And and he says, oh, man, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's effing beautiful, you know. Um, And, you know, this is this is an immodest statement. I think he's he's being a little cheeky. But um, the thing is, tens of millions of people would agree. Right. Um, So I want to talk a bit about one of the central preoccupations of this movie is the critical discourse around Kenny G and it's, exactly. it's kind of failure to engage the music, um, on its own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what you thought about that, Greg, um, you know, as someone who studies music criticism and has been on the receiving end of it at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when I look at the talking heads in this movie, which include my friends and colleagues, Ben Ratliff, Will Lehman, Um, Chris Washburn, uh, Jason King, Mm -hmm. you know, these are my people. And to a large extent, you know, if you sort of triangulate their opinions, um, that's pretty much how I feel. Right. Hmm. Okay. I feel like the perspective you're articulating is, is from a musician standpoint and it's not very well expressed in this film.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: that, that, Mm -hmm. that to me was one of the, one of the great omissions here. Um, so have at it well it's
0: not a question of art versus commerce it's art and commerce Mm -hmm. and i think that the critic in general um and i can really ask you this question after i respond to this there's a certain healthy distance that many people who write about this music have to um observe from their subject um naturally nate you have friends in this business that are, are musicians that you've championed folks that have championed you um but when you get the text at 12 a.m from musicians who are you know will be unnamed on this podcast who genuinely appreciate what you do and say hey man uh, do you know any links to any grants that i can apply for or is anybody helping out with charities i'm really having a rough time meeting my mortgage or my rent this month it takes on a different life. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have a situation where this gentleman has benefited from, again, the confusion of being lumped in with many of the musicians that we admire and respect, and he has profited from that, I would argue unfairly due to the system that he's a part of. I have to say that any coverage maybe won't make him more famous, but the fact that we're talking about this now Helps his case, and when someone who I really respect, just as you, like Ben Ratliff, says, maybe we can reassess um, Kenny G's contribution as it's matched with these new age pop stars of 2021. I cry foul. I don't Mm -hmm. think we can. Mm -hmm. I think Kenny G's legacy remains exactly what it is. It's confused a lot of people. I've used that word (laughs) more than once now. Right. But I think, unfortunately, economically, it has unbalanced the scale so much that we shouldn't really complain or scratch our heads about why artists that we love are crying the blues financially. We help to create this, us,
1: right. all of us right. here,
0: whether we play this music, whether we talk about it, whether we um, agree with someone or disagree, doesn't matter. The fact that we're engaged in this conversation and having this movie furthers the, the, the publicity around this guy. Yeah. And I'm just having trouble. On one hand, the musician of me is like, man, why are we talking about this? Yeah. But critically, it's it's topical. It's a conversation that needs to be had because mm-hmm. people need to understand it's not just that we're so much in love with Coltrane or, or Kenny Garrett, who we'll talk about later. Um, We've just been so adversely affected by a one-sided conception of what Black American improvisational music is. And this is not the torchbearer of it,
1: right? Sorry. Okay, you are pointing me in a really useful direction here. Um, and let's see if I can navigate this. <laughs> legibly, um, I said too much already. <laughs> no, you did not. You did not. Um, for one thing, you know, I, I want to I want to acknowledge something and and also sort of lob it back to you briefly before I before I go into my tangent. Um, Kenny G's relationship to Black music is fascinating, right? And I feel like this film, if I learned anything new from this film, um, it had to do with that. It had to do with his initial framing at the hands of Clive Davis um, and his pairing with Black R&B artists, because there was no path for a Kenny G before he made it, right? The, the, The path for crossover instrumental music was the path that had been trod by Grover Washington and Kirk Whalem and others, you know, and it was in dialogue with and in relation to smooth R&B and, and smooth soul and gospel. Right. And so, so Kenny G initially is marketed with this kind of strategic erasure of his of his image you know and mm-hmm. he's he's put into this kind of you know buddy cop proximity with r and artists and that to me is really fascinating because of the fact that once he makes his pivot he becomes the living embodiment of the whitest music ever made mm-hmm. um, and there's a jaw-dropping scene in the film where penny lane the director sort of asks him the you know the general it's a softball question honestly the 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 question of cultural appropriation and Kenny G feigns and i i have to think that it's feigned a, a kind of like blissful ignorance like i've oh i've, I've mm-hmm. never thought of that so okay i've been yeah. i've been just i've been talking and talking like where do we where do we go with this you know this Kenny G in relation to black music
0: Um, it's really difficult uh, for me and I'll probably get some letters for this and it's okay, but I'm disappointed at the fact that he's been so embraced by African American listeners. Mm -hmm. If I'm really honest about it, because, um, I go again though, to, he's a symptom of a bigger issue. And that issue is what happened circa 1985, 1986, when radio stations, uh, began, um, kind of not knowing what to do. Revenue was in flux. The FM band became more popular um, than at any time before in its history due to its sound quality for one reason. Um, But as the movie so aptly describes, Clive Davis making phone calls to his friends in the business. Hey, we want you to play this. We want you to see if you can find this in your schedule, playing it as often as you can. It would be a personal favor to me. Not knowing Mr. Davis personally, but knowing a little bit about the record business, um, it can be a bit shady. Uh, It can be a bit organized. And when I say that word, I'm kind of throwing back to the mob bosses, you know, back in the day, you know, right. Um, Do this or else, you know, we don't back up too easily from you telling us no. We want you to kind of play this record for us and see how it fares. Well, I remember as a six year old man going to school. 7:20 AM setting my clock to artists like Whitney Houston loved her voice, but wondered why is she on at every time mm. of the morning, uh, these weekdays. Mm, right. Yeah. And then with, 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 um, Mr. G, Mr. Gorlick the next year, it was the same thing, you know, songbird or going home or whatever it was, right. I could set my watch by it. Right. And I just wondered, even in my, um, growing brain and assessment of, of, of the world, I feel like my choices or my ability to hear different things is somehow shrinking. Mm. I remember having that thought as a six-year-old. Fast forward almost forty years. Right. I don't know if we can really, you know, assess the, the damage, Nate. Like it, it's it's catastrophic, man. Mm. And 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 we we drive our our situation on numbers and likes and and you know people who call in. And to Mr. Gorlick's credit, there are familiar melodies, as the documentary again points out, that resonate deeply in the souls of many. But to use that to anesthetize people, for instance, in China, this is the right time that you should (laughs) leave the store and (laughs) pack up your belongings.
1: As Ratliff asks, is Kenny G's music a weapon of consent? Yes, (laughs) he's
0: right, he's right.
1: Looking back at this past year on Jazz United, there's so much that we have celebrated, um, and discussed, and and sort of picked apart and kicked around. Um, we've had a lot of fun here, you know. Greg, what are some of the highlights for you in 2021? Oh man,
0: you know, we talked about uh, the late great Dr. Lonnie Smith, Paul Motion, uh, back in the club. You know, when we were first crawling back into live music indoors. Uh, Lee Morgan's uh, Complete Live at the Lighthouse, you know, which I'm sure we'll talk about again next episode in some fashion. And of course, uh, the Holy Grail experience of a Love Supreme live in Seattle. It's been a good time hanging out with you man. doing these all year round.
1: And during this season of giving, we're asking you to give the gift of jazz by supporting WBGO with a tax deductible contribution Um, And we want to make the point that all this fun we're having here on Jazz United, the the good vibes that we share with you, um, that's a part of what WBGO makes possible. Uh, We're a production of WBGO Studios. We are supported in the same way that your favorite radio show is supported here. Um, It all comes from the same place. So when you call 1-800-499-9246 or visit wbgo.org, Uh, or text WBGO to 56512. You are helping all of us.
0: That's right, folks. All three ways work. We just want you to come through for us right now with your pledge of financial support. Uh, We're going to get back to the episode, but uh, while we're in this pause, make that move to the phone um, or online to give securely. And we thank you.
1: We should acknowledge that one of the expert witnesses in this film is Pat Prescott, veteran um, radio personality and a friend to WBGO. Um, and, and she has some really interesting things to say about his place in this ecosystem, right? In this listening mm. ecology. Um, mm. If you'll permit me, Greg, um, I- I'm going to quote myself for a moment. I know how Yes. Uh, th- this maybe puts me in the same, uh, sphere as Kenny G admiring his tone. But, uh, in, uh, back in 2013, I wrote a, a big piece about smooth jazz for the New York times. Um, and it was a, a kind of x-ray of the, the whole ecosystem. Um, and this was after the great radio purges of 2008 and 2009, smooth jazz radio was, was in shambles. The, um, record sales had plummeted and so i was looking at this as a subculture you Mm -hmm. know um Mm -hmm. which is what it had become and i contrasted it in this piece to the glory days when you know basically every small american market had a smooth jazz station um and so here's what i said smooth jazz had an enviable infrastructure then Even a small American city was likely to have a dedicated radio station. What it didn't have was cachet, critical regard, or any trace of cool. Parenthetical, Kenny G has recently taken pains to show that he's in on the joke. This was a music forged by market considerations, less a coherent genre than a commercial format. Its native habitats were the office cubicle, the minivan, and the five-day forecast. Um, And that's the terror of this music. That's what we're talking mm-hmm. about, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, as you know very well, there are tons of musicians working in this format who are who are just bad musicians. Like they're yeah. they're they know what they're doing. Yeah. They can they can hang mm-hmm. and they are making a choice based on their own personal preferences and, you know, let's face it, commercial considerations. Mm-hmm. But they know the history they're coming from. Uh A lot of them. Right. I was really stunned by how contextless Kenny G's relationship to instrumental music really was, um, which actually raises um, a point that we'll revisit in a moment. But Mm -hmm. here's another thing I want to talk about. And this is where Mm -hmm. I think maybe this discussion um, brings us outside of just a a film review and, and answers the question like, well, why does this matter to us? Right. Mm-hmm. I keep using the term ecology. Um, I really feel that about the culture of this music. And, okay. you know, in the film, there's a lot of really illuminating context around Songbird, which is the the, the tune that really blows Kenny G up. Right. Mm-hmm. It was released in 1987. Um, it became the first instrumental track to reach the top five of the Billboard Hot 100 uh, since the, uh, since the theme song from Miami vice. Um, and this, this song was, was just beyond ubiquitous. And it actually leads to Kenny G, um, performing that summer at the Newport jazz festival. Um, there's some footage of that in the documentary. Um, he, he played on the JVC jazz festival in New York. Um, I believe that may be the, uh, the, the setting for that infamous photo of, of him standing next to a very nonplussed Miles Davis. Yeah. So yeah. So what do we get when Kenny G is sort of allowed like a barbarian into the gates um, in 1987? Well, among other things, Greg, you know where I'm going with this, right? I think so. Um, 1987 is also the year that Wynton Marsalis is allowed to uh, and, and entrusted with uh, a series called Classical Jazz at Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. The following year, 1988, he writes an op-ed for the New York Times titled "What Jazz Is Dash <laughs> and Isn't." <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Greg, I-, I feel like maybe you should be the person to read this paragraph from Mister Marcellus. Okay, take us take it away.
0: All right. Uh, Too many people, any kind of popular music now can be lumped with jazz. As a result, audiences too often come to jazz with a generalized misconception about what it is and about what it is supposed to be. Too often, what is represented as jazz isn't jazz at all. Despite attempts by writers and record companies and promoters and educators and even musicians to blur the lines for commercial purposes, rock isn't jazz and new age isn't jazz and neither are pop or third stream. There may be much that is good in all of them, but they aren't jazz. Yeah, I I think I know where you're going with that, but but bring it home. Why did you bring this for us in this particular context?
1: Well, I think that, you know, in the culture of improvised music, as in the natural world, Newtonian rules apply. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And I think that the... The phenomenal popular success of and cultural ubiquity of Kenny G in this pr- particular moment creates—I I mentioned a topical irritant. <laughs> in, the, in the case of Wynton Marsalis, clearly this this went under the skin, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know Wynton, of course, was not only responding to Kenny G. Uh, I think he was also probably pushing back against what Miles was doing at the time and, sure. and also um sure. you know a number of other things that are more in the fusion camp. Um, you know, as we know, Winton had had a number of targets. But mm-hmm. I it seems to me that there can be no coincidence um that this this op-ed appears in nineteen eighty eight, um, right after this world beating year that Kenny G has. And, you know, to a certain extent, and this here is where we do get conjectural mm-hmm. the The fervor with which Winton decides he has to draw um, demarcations and clarify a definition of jazz, mm-hmm. which then allows Jazz and Lincoln Center to effectively monetize and institutionalize that mission. Mm-hmm. It is as a pushback against the Blatant, uh, craven commercialization embodied by one Kenny G, and so, mm. so basically, what I'm saying is Kenny G started Jazz at Lincoln Center. Uh <laughs> oh! <Uh-oh. laughs>
0: wow! Write your letters to <laughs> Nate and folks. Uh,
1: no, but you you know, it's basically like I, for me, uh, as a critic and historian, these these moments in the culture speak to one another. And um, mm-hmm. and so it's not in the film. It's not in the purview of the film. It's not really I don't think Penny Lane is particularly interested in it. But this is a way for us to talk about the rise of Kenny G in a way that feels actually relevant to the matters at hand for us. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my take. OK, OK.
0: Now, I appreciate you for bringing that in. Um, it's been a while since I've I've thought about that and it's become such a part of the, you know, cultural, you know, uh, discussion subconsciously that, you know, I had to flash back to remember that he actually wrote that piece. You know, you just accept Wynton after a certain point, you know, he's just a part of the the, the cultural discussion. Um, I would answer that though, with a Les McCann album title. Okay. Invitation to openness. Mm. I feel like, Kenny G has done his damage, as we've talked about the machine that built him uh, is equally, if not more so responsible. I will venture out to say that uh, although that Winton was true in his heart with what he was learning and what he was expressing, he also has had an effect that was uh, less than favorable on people embracing and understanding this music. Right. As right. much as he you know, has been an educator for it and has helped to, you know, Take jazz and put a bow tie on it. Um, I think in the middle is where the sweet spot is, and I think that it's okay for people to like what they like, but there has to be the the capital to support the art, and we can't just have it on the Lincoln Center side. We can't just have it on the smooth side. Right. It exists somewhere in the middle, and again, it's our job. It's our job to entertain, to educate, and inspire. Those are the tenets of WBGO. Mm. And that's what I wish more people would embrace in the spirit and truth of that statement. And all of us have work to do, including WBGO. But I think that's the real skill there. As preachy as it sounds, we've got to combine those elements to ensure a healthy audience going forward.
1: Oh, preach, Mr. Bryant. I did. uh, I hear you. I did. I hear you. I have one more question and it it feels pesky and maybe a little... um, unkind after that beautiful uh, message. But I have to ask, watching this movie, I began to wonder whether um, it's all a trap. Um, There is an infamous moment that I'm sure you recall when Kenny G... Uh, recorded a digital duet of sorts with Louis Armstrong singing What a Wonderful World. Mm -hmm. Um, Pat Metheny, among others, took great umbrage, and it became a kind of tempest in a teapot. Mm -hmm. Well, to my mind, what Kenny G has done on his new album Mm -hmm. um, is a far worse sacrilege than what he did previously. Um and at the risk of alienating our listening audience, I think we might have to hear a little bit. Don't do this, man. Uh, Greg, I'm Don't so sorry. It, like I said, hard truths. Tough, Trevor, tough medicine. You can stop it. You can stop it, <laughs> Trevor. <laughs> this is a song from the new Kenny G album titled, "I Kid You Not: New Standards." And the song is titled, "I Kid You Not: Legacy." featuring Stan Getz.
0: something at you or just you know hide myself in embarrassment
1: i i I did not issue an actual trigger warning for that track i i apologize um i hope that there were no adverse effects um but yeah this is this is a track let me just say what this is right Mm -hmm. so so when kenny g recorded his version of What a Wonderful World. He took film footage of Louis Armstrong performing it, and then he just overdubbed himself, playing Mm -hmm. Obligato and a little solo. And, you know, okay. Um, Pat Metheny used the term necrophilia
0: when Mm -hmm. he was describing this.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But that term did not resonate with me until I considered what is happening here. Yeah. So so what Kenny G has done is he's taken Stan Getz's tenor saxophone sound sampled from a I don't know what, a handful of recordings. He's fed that through some kind of uh, AI machine learning, and he has instrumentalized and arguably weaponized it in order to play one of his own insipid melodies. And alternate, you know, one phrase with Stan's tenor and another with his own soprano. Mm -hmm. So so what we have, and, you know, in the film, he does explain that he has, you know, secured permission from the Stan Getz estate and from his Mm -hmm. family. So somebody's getting paid. Yes. But I feel like if you love this music and if you have any feeling for Stan Getz, um, really any of our... Fallen heroes. Um, it cannot but make you a little squeamish to think yeah. that that you know this is this kind of uncanny valley expression. Um, I don't know. I mean, and 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 so here's my question: Is there any way, like, and, and does does he just win by default? Because in the film, he's kind of like, oh, the jazz police are going to hate me for this, and you can almost sense him sort of gleefully. Um, savoring the the overreaction, right? You you
0: cannot satirize yourself back into safety. Mm. He's tried and no, he gets every single criticism due to him. I don't feel sorry for him. He's made his money. He should stay home and practice and not release these horrible, horrible, Tributes, and I use that word in quote, right? To these people who he's just now discovering, I, I think it's um, it's a it's a it's a shame. It's a, it's a real shame, and I and I think there's this new school of thinking. Oh, I'll just joke on myself, right? And I'll be right. okay, and folks will just joke, and then somehow that'll undo all the you know misguided you know information that I've spread. Doesn't work like that.
1: Kenny G is doing this with Stan Getz's sound because he can. Yeah. Cause he can afford to, yeah. you know, mess around with AI and, you know, and pay the estate, whatever they are asking. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, it's a flex, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's a flex in service of, as you say, Greg, like this incredibly dumb music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, obviously we deserve better. Stan yeah. gets, deserves better. Uh, I don't know what else you can say about that. Mm-hmm. I move that this meeting proceed to the next item on our agenda. seconded, Which is another Kenny G. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you listen to this show regularly, I don't have to tell you who we're talking about. Right. Um, a man by the name of Kenny Garrett. Mm-hmm. Alto mm-hmm. saxophonist, soprano saxophonist, composer, bandleader, keyboardist. Yeah. Um, and... There is actually um, there are some parallels that we can discuss, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the context of this episode. So mm-hmm. maybe that's where we should go. But Greg, mm-hmm. you are a, a broadcaster; you know your way around a segue. Mm-hmm. So, what is the piece of music that you want to bring us in to the the uh, the less upsetting portion? of this episode of
0: jazz united before we hear something from his new record i want to center us on sing a song of song yeah 1997's yes. songbook recording with uh, nat reeves on bass Tane watts as the drummer and the late great kenny kirk
1: Kenny Garrett's Sing a Song of Song. Greg Bryant, how do yes, you sir. know me so well? Um, <laughs> one of the best experiences I've ever had in a jazz mm-hmm. club mm-hmm. took place uh, in the summer, I believe. Maybe it was the fall of 1997 at, a, at the, the late lamented Zanzibar Blue on Broad Street in Philadelphia. Yes, sir. It was this band, Kenny Garrett, wow. Jeff wow. Watts, Nat Reeves, and Kenny Kirkland. Mm-hmm. And I sat uh, at the front table. I saw both sets. I talked to the guys after mm-hmm. the show and it felt like just every member of this band was just working on an elevated plane. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. it felt I mean, I've seen a few bands that that hit on all cylinders like this. Um, and And seemed to be uh, operating with a life of its own, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But this was was up there. Um, Yeah, yeah. And so I'm so glad that you picked that track.
0: Well, man, I did for a couple of reasons. And thank you for sharing. Uh, That brings me even closer um, to that ensemble. That song of about, I would say, 10 tunes that have made it into, let's say, instrumental standards in the past 25 years, that's first on the list. Uh, you see everyone from high school bands to college ensembles to even working musicians with that tune in their book. Um, I would say, you know, the fall of radio, the, the the fall of not the fall, but the different relationship we have to, to radio and press and music consuming in general makes it harder sometimes to have new standards from our instrumental greats. Uh, But that's one. Um, One of the biggest regrets in my life uh, was starting Middle Tennessee State University uh, in the fall of 1997. Um, Not that I uh, abhor my college experience. I love it. I treasure that. But the day before I was due to arrive on campus, that same band played in Nashville. Mm. And my parents were so dogmatic on me arriving to school on time the first day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in their last act of forbidding me to do anything. No, you cannot go to this club to see this band. I know you love them. I know it's great,
1: uh, but it'll come around again. And it never did. Mr. And Mrs. Bryant, where are yes. your priorities? Yes, <laughs> exactly. I, I I kid. Cause I know, I know how, I know how deep their musical knowledge is and how much mm-hmm. they supported yours. Yeah. Um. But I, yeah, I, I you know, uh, here, th- here's where we need to acknowledge something though. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, Kenny Garrett, his first um, appearance on the scene on a major platform, on on a sort of global stage, was in a context that you could argue is at least adjacent to what we now know as smooth jazz. True. And by which I mean the music he was playing with Miles Davis Mm -hmm. in 1985, 86, 87, Mm -hmm. you know, this was the era of time after time. This Mm -hmm. was the era, you know, of human nature. Right. And so Kenny Garrett's, um, sound on alto and soprano. Um, he is, he is not only capable of, but really a master at this kind of like, um, perfect balance of sweet, tart, you know, supplicatory, Mm -hmm. um, soothing, Mm -hmm. um, soulful, but like, but like, Pleasant, he can yeah. do that, and yeah. and that's actually the way that a lot of people first encountered him. You right. know, he
0: right. can be
1: a fire breather, yeah, no question. But yep. but he, you know, Kenny Kenny Garrett is no stranger to the smooth impulse, and in right. fact, he is he is a master of the form. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting that's an interesting point of comparison here. Yeah, yeah, but but again,
0: too, the king of crossover that's mm-hmm. who we studied under miles davis that's who he was a part of miles davis and i would say on those two albums in in particular Amandala, which is miles davis's i think last full length realized album uh 1989 was the year on that mm-hmm. any of those solos you could translate them into a context that was more acoustic or more burning but if you hear the harmony that's written in those tunes it rivals anything that you'd hear on smooth jazz radio. But I, I, I like where you're going with that, because what does Kenny Garrett do? He knows how to emphasize and deliver a melody, the first yes. key ingredient for bringing anybody into the discussion.
1: He's got that. And so did Miles. And in fact, you know, um, Kenny has has explored the sort of adult contemporary instrumental lane in his own work quite explicitly too, you know, I'm sure you recall Greg, you know, after songbook came this album called simply said, that's right. Um, which was not that well received critically, but you know, it showed that he was really thinking about this kind of connection, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and sort of looking at the audience for, you know, smooth jazz for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. and saying, well, you know, there's something there, like there's a connection being made. And, and I think that I can do that, I think I can make that connection too. And he's, he does it earnestly. That's the thing, right? Kenny Garrett is not the kind of musician to condescend to his audience or to underestimate their taste. Um, (laughs) That that may be one reason that he's not as successful as Kenny G. Um, But I, I wanted to acknowledge too, that this is a musician who at 61 now um is really thinking about his place in the firmament. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny Garrett has become, he, he's kind of ascending into the realm of our, of our jazz elders. Yeah. You know? And if you look at the work of someone like Terrace Martin, um, especially anytime he plays an alto saxophone solo, Kenny Garrett is in there. That's mm-hmm. part of his vocabulary and foundation, mm-hmm. unabashedly yeah. so, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so So Kenny Garrett, I I love seeing this, this kind of like negotiation with his place in the, um, you know, in, in the elder, the elder statesman category. Um, and, and he actually, his new album released this year on Mac Avenue is titled sounds from the ancestors, Mm -hmm. um, very much thinking about those issues of lineage, Mm -hmm. um, And Greg, I think we've talked about this album. You like it as much as I do, right?
0: Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic, man. Um, You know, that first word, sound. You know, Kenny Garrett also, as a melodic um, genius, I think, uh, is a sound innovator. You know, I think about, you know, alto players to emerge from, let's say, the 1970s to now. I think about Gary Bartz first, you know, that meaty tone that plays the alto saxophone, almost like a tenor saxophone. It's a power thing. And then right after that is Kenny Garrett. You know, I don't think, with maybe the exception of Logan Richardson, that we've heard anything as far as the actual timbre and sound of the saxophone Mm. evolve since those two guys. Um, And they're different sounds, but those are the dominant sounds right now, I think, that uh, young players are aspiring to in their music. And there's plenty to hear of that on this new record, man. Um, I think about this cast, too. Yeah. Um, Folks that he's worked with off and on for several years, Uh, the producer and pianist uh, with his producer hat on this session, uh, Donald Brown, uh, ex-jazz messenger, um, uh, Vernell Brown, the pianist, as well as drummers, um, uh, Marcus Baylor, as well as um, Ronald Bruner. These are cats that, you know, Kenny has, has shepherded, if you will, for at least off and on for 20 years, but they combine in this uh, Kenny Garrett, Special ensemble to really push that information of how do we connect these new melodies? How do we connect this tradition to something that is organic and not just for you know Joe super jazz fan, right? But people who just like good melody and strong grooving—it's all here.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and we talk often about Black American music on this show, and this is an album that really organically puts it together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's a jazz album undeniably, but there's, there's some Yoruban energy on here. Um, there's a lot of like Afro-Cuban, um, rhythmic information. There's a, a really firm foothold in the gospel church. Um, Mm -hmm. there's some, there's some soul music, um, you know, some nods to, to Kenny's hometown of Detroit. Um, And it it never feels like gear shifting. You know, it all feels like fully metabolized by this ensemble. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing, right, is um, the best thing that I can say about Kenny G is that at his best, he does know how to put together a melody, Mm -hmm. you know, these hummable, hummable earworm kind of tunes that people love all over the world. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, Kenny Garrett knows how to do that, too. Absolutely, and maybe, Greg. Unless you have anything more to say on this subject, uh, I would like to send us out with one of my favorite earworms of 2021. Okay, um, a beautiful tribute to the late trumpeter Roy Hargrove. Mm. Um, that is the second track on this album, um, and it is simply titled Hargrove.
0: Good choice, man. That could be a new standard on mm. the real. 2021 release from the great Kenny Garrett. Um, brilliant tribute to the late, great Roy Hargrove there. We're going to pivot now into something that we've uh, had a ball doing over the last several episodes, our This I Dig segment. Of course, we've acknowledged the wonderful sound and spirit of Hank Mobley uh, in the titling of that. But um, we just talk about stuff that we're checking out uh jones and on we want to recommend to you it may be music it may not be but uh what do you have for us this week my
1: man well there's this new album called new standards by a saxophonist named kenny g and uh no trevor (laughs) come on um no okay i have in in all honesty um i have been digging although digging is not in one way it's the right word in another way um it doesn't really express, uh, my emotions here, but, um, as we are taping this episode, uh, I am still reeling from news that the incomparable cultural critic, Mm. writer, musician, Greg Mm. Tate has left us um, Mm -hmm. quite unexpectedly. Um, I believe he was 64. Um, he was, he was a lodestar. Um, Mm. and it was bittersweet to see, the incredible outpouring from all over the spectrum of, of writers and thinkers, um, especially the black intelligentsia, but, mm-hmm. but by no means limited to any group or profession, you know, really like people from all corners were singing the praises of great yeah. hate. And yeah. so, so I have been digging and, uh, maybe I'll use that verb in the getting out my shovel and like, like excavating sense, I've yeah. been digging um, one of Greg's essay collections titled "Flyboy and the Buttermilk: Essays on <laughs> Contemporary America." Yeah, um, this was first published in the early nineteen nineties. Um, it is a it is a, an ur text. You know, there's just so much incredible writing, um, brilliant exegesis. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do not own this book, go get it. Um. Some fantastic writing about electric Miles Davis, Mm -hmm. um, about Richard Pryor, uh, about Prince um, and so much else. So that is my that's my pick for today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definite love and light to the Tate family um, and the critical community. Uh, Man, what a giant uh, he was. And we celebrate his spirit today, as you've said. Um, I have a bit of a different pick uh, today. Uh, Not a musical one at all, actually. Uh, This guy's initials are also KG, but in the person of uh, the basketball player Kevin Garnett. Mm. And uh, the Showtime documentary, Anything is Possible, that chronicles his rise, essentially, um, as um, a player drafted out of high school in about 1995, I believe. But in contrast with many who had um, gone on that path... He had a 20 year career and um, championship runs, of course, with the Celtics. But I first really uh, got the KG bug in the 90s when folks were talking about the the Shaq and Kobe show. I was Kevin Garnett and Allen Iverson. I just love to watch mm. those guys on their respective teams just yeah. have that brilliant blend of finesse and pure power. Um, KG had it for you. So uh that's a little shout out to that documentary. Anything is possible, and it's streaming on Showtime.
1: Excellent. Well, we thank you for hanging with us today um, with all of our KGs in a mm-hmm. row here. Um, yeah. As we always tell you, Jazz United is a production of WBGO Studios. It is lovingly made by Trevor Smith. Uh, I am Nate Chenen. Um, my co-host is Greg Bryant. You can follow us on Twitter um, at Nate Chenin or at GB underscore Watchmen. Um, and please let us know what you think of the show. Uh, rate us on your podcast delivery service of choice. Um, of course, we uh, we are fans of the five star rating. Um, That's right. Uh, but do what you want. Uh, and uh, and. We've also got a little programming note. Um, Greg, I'll toss it to you to talk about our our final show of this year 2021.
0: Oh man, we are really excited uh, to announce that our end of the year uh, Jazz United review will be taped uh, live in person uh, at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem. Uh, We'll bring that show to you, uh, I believe. New Year's Eve, Nate. Is that what we've got on the calendar? At this maybe, point? maybe
1: a little bit earlier than New Year's Eve. We don't want to get okay. lost in the uh, lost in the champagne and uh, and firecrackers. But <laughs> um, but you Indeed. know the the final week of of the year. At some point, we will we will drop this episode. And um, I don't know if you mentioned, Greg. We're, we will be joined by uh, journalist and author Jordana Elizabeth. Um, we're very excited to hear what she has to say about this year and uh, we're going to have a fun conversation. So uh, stay tuned.
0: Folks, we're back one more time to ask you, did you make that gift yet? No? Well, you still have a chance. We are in the midst of our uh, fun drive for WBGO. Of course, Jazz United is a product of WBGO Studios. Please right now, 800-499-9246. Again, 800-499-9246 or give securely online at wbgo.org slash support to help to ensure that programs like this, Jazz United, come straight to your ears as often as you would listen. Thank you for that. We also, folks, just got word that um, the wonderful Mr. Barry Harris, uh, king of our music, uh, has also passed on. And we'll probably talk about this more later in our end of the year episode, but uh, I'd like to go out today with a bit of Barry Harris, if we can. Uh, This is a tune from his uh, 1960 classic Live in San Francisco. Um, Man, still reeling from all of this news, but uh, we want to celebrate Barry Harris as well. has been a WBGO Studios production. To learn more about WBGO Studios award-winning podcasts, special concerts, live streams and more, visit wbgo.org/studios.